how many of you have heard the story of the ugly duckling? Anybody? A few people, yes. I don't think it's as prevalent today as it used to be in terms of stories thing people read. But listen as I read the story of the ugly duckling. Once upon a time, down on an old farm lived a duck family. And Mother Duck had been sitting on a clutch of new eggs. One nice morning, the eggs hatched, and out popped six chirpy ducklings. But one egg was bigger than the rest, and it didn't hatch. Mother Duck couldn't recall laying that seventh egg. How did he get there? Talk, talk. The little prisoner was pecking inside his shell. Did I count the eggs wrongly? Mother Duck wondered. But before she had time to think about it, the last egg finally hatched. A strange-looking duckling with gray feathers that should have been yellow gazed at a worried mother. The ducklings grew quickly, but Mother Duck had a secret worry. I can't understand how this ugly duckling can be one of mine, she said to herself, shaking her head as she looked at her last born. Well, the gray duckling certainly wasn't pretty, and since he ate far more than his brothers, he was outgrowing them. As the days went by, the poor ugly duckling became more and more unhappy. His brothers didn't want to play with him. He was so clumsy, and all the farmyard folks simply laughed at him. He felt sad and lonely, while Mother Duck did her best to console him. Poor little ugly duckling, she would say to him. That'd be terrible, right? <laughs> poor little ugly duckling, she would say. Why are you so different from the others? Then the ugly duckling felt worse than ever. He secretly wept at night. He felt nobody wanted him. Nobody loves me. They all tease me. Why am I different from my brothers? Then one day at sunrise, he ran away from the farmyard. He stopped at a pond and began to question all the other birds. Do you know of any ducklings with gray feathers like mine? But everyone shook their heads in scorn. We don't know anyone as ugly as you. The ugly ducky did not lose heart, however, and kept on making inquiries. He went to another pond where a pair of large geese gave him the same answer to his question. Once more, they warned him, don't stay here, go away, it's dangerous. There are men with guns around here. The duckling was sorry he had even left, ever left the farmyard. Then one day, his travels took him near an old country woman's cottage. Thinking it was a stray goose, she caught him. I'll put this in a hutch. I hope it's a female and lays plenty of eggs, said the old woman, whose eyesight was poor. But the ugly duckling laid not a single egg. The hen kept frightening him. Just wait. If you don't lay eggs, the old woman will wring your neck and pop you into the pot. And the cat chirped in, hee hee, I hope the woman cooks you, then I can gnaw at your bones. The poor ugly duckling was so scared that he lost his appetite, though the old woman kept stuffing him with food and grumbling, if you won't lay eggs, at least hurry up and get plump. Oh dear me, moaned the now terrified duckling, I'll die of fright first, and I did so hope someone would love me. Then one night, finding the hutch door ajar, he escaped. Once again, he was all alone. He fled as far away as he could. And at dawn, he found himself in a thick bed of reeds. If nobody wants me, I'll hide here forever. There was plenty of food, and the duckling began to feel a little happier, though he was lonely. One day at sunrise, he saw a flight of beautiful birds wing overhead, white with long, slender necks, yellow beaks, and large wings. They were migrating south. If only I could look like them just for a day, said the duckling admiringly. Winter came and the water in the reed, uh, reed bed froze. 
The poor duckling left home to seek food in the snow. He dropped exhausted to the ground, but a farmer found him and put him in his big jacket pocket. I'll take him home to my children. They'll look after him. Poor thing, he's frozen. The duckling was showered with kindly care at the farmer's house. In this way, the ugly duckling was able to survive the bitterly cold winter. However, by springtime, he had grown so big that the farmer decided, I'll set him free by the pond. That was when the duckling saw himself mirrored in the water. Goodness, how I've changed. I hardly recognize myself. The flight of swans winged north again and glided onto the pond. When the duckling saw them, he realized he was one of their kind. And soon made friends. We're swans like you, they said warmly. Where have you been hiding? It's a long story, replied the young swan, still astounded. Now he swam majestically with his fellow swans. One day he heard children on the riverbank exclaim, Look at that young swan. He's the finest of them all. And he almost burst with happiness. Not a great story. Moral of the story is don't get eat by that woman and the cat. Okay. It's an old story about understanding a couple of things. Understanding who you really are and understanding that over time we transform. We change. We're in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We've taken a little hiatus from Colossians, but going back to it. Moral of the story is remember who you really are and remember that in time you change. You know, uh, physical transformation is pretty easy. You just change as you get older. You know, I mean, uh, I'm not the same as when I was younger. We all change, right? We get older, we, you know, we start falling apart, whatever, you know. You see the, the kids. And as they, you know, when they're, you know, little kids, like when Hannah was little, and they just get older and older. I mean, you're doing it with your own kids or your neighbors or whatever. People transform over time, physically. Use the uh, classic example of the butterfly that starts out as a caterpillar and then becomes a butterfly. Transformation. We need to understand that as followers of Messiah Yeshua, God has called us to transform over time, to change more and more into the image of our Messiah, Yeshua. There's a couple of ways we can understand that. One is this understanding that over time, just as Eric was really pointing out, that to be patient, because patience means that we are understanding that time is necessary in process, to truly process well. We have to allow time. You know, growing in Messiah takes time. Hopefully you're patient with yourself. You're not who you were. You're not who you're going to be. But you're certainly not standing still. You're making forward progress in your spiritual growth and development. But there's something else that has to be understood. And that is is that when we come to understand who Yeshua is, we go through an instantaneous transformation that we don't always fully appreciate. We go from death to life. We go from sinner to saint. We go from enemy of God to child of God. And we need to understand what that is and appreciate it in our lives. Let's take a look at this text. It's just four verses we're going to look at. For five verses, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, found on page 1471. Page 1471. It says, Also it was in union with him 
that you were circumcised with a circumcision not done by human hands, but accomplished by stripping away the old nature's control over the body. In this circumcision done by the Messiah, you were buried along with Him by being immersed. And in union with Him, you were also raised up along with Him by God's faithfulness that worked when He raised Yeshua from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, that is, because of your foreskin, your old nature. But God made you alive along with the Messiah by forgiving you all your sins. He wiped away the bill of charges against us because of the regulations that stood as a testimony against us. But he removed it by nailing it to the execution stake, stripping the rulers and authorities of their power. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by means of the stake. Tremendous text. And we're going to take it apart. Uh, You'll notice on your announcement sheet, the back of it, there's notes there. I encourage you to look at that. Uh, The main point I want to get get across is the big idea, which states when we humbly accept Yeshua's death for our sins, we go through a complete spiritual transformation. That's the thing I want you to walk out today with, is that the moment you humbled yourself and you became a follower of Messiah, you believed in Yeshua's atonement for the forgiveness of your sin, you immediately went through a spiritual transformation. You went from death to life. That's what Shaul, Paul is trying to get across in Colossians chapter 2. And it breaks into three points. It's always three points, right? The first is we have a new self. Take a look at verses 11 and 12 again. Also it was in union with him that you were circumcised with a circumcision not done by human hands, but accomplished by stripping away the old nature's control over the body. In this circumcision done by the Messiah, you were buried along with him. So let's just stop there. It's very important to understand that circumcision here is an illustration of change. In the Jewish mindset, in our mindset as a people, what has developed is circumcision separates. All right? Jewish people, when a kid is eight days old, all right, according to the Jewish tradition, they go through Brit Milah, they get a bris, and they're circumcised. It separates him from the nations. He is now part of the people of Israel. God willing, uh, very soon, uh, Levi and Nicole are going to have a nice, healthy little baby boy, and there'll be a party, and the kid will get snipped, and everybody will rejoice. And But yet the party is only the fun part. The really important part is the Brit Milah. Because it is Levi and Nicole stating that as God is their witness that this child is being brought into the covenant of Israel as a son of Abraham. And that it separates him from the nations. It is an important statement among us as Jews that separates us from everybody else. Now what's interesting here, he uses circumcision, but not physical circumcision. This goes back to what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. Where God says to the people, or Moses says to the people, circumcise your hearts. Set yourself apart inside. Humble yourself before the Lord your God. Here, the illustration of circumcision is directly related to the fact that God wants us to be different than the world. That God, through Messiah Yeshua, has saved us. God, through Messiah Yeshua, has given us a new heart and a new life through our faith in His atonement. And this makes us separate from the world. 
Now, Shaul is making this point. Colossae is mostly a Gentile community, but whether you're Jewish or Gentile, the bottom line is this is relevant. Because all of us, when we humble ourselves, God is cutting away as it uses this over and over, the foreskin of our hearts. He is humble, and through our humility, He is marking us as His. There is a transformation. A child is changed physically through a bris. He will never be the same. When we come into relationship with God through our faith in Messiah Yeshua, we are marked, spiritually speaking, we will never be the same. One of the, one of the, the key doctrinal points I hold on to is an understanding that when a person comes to genuinely believe, genuinely accept that Yeshua is the Messiah that they will never lose that relationship with God, that they have been transformed, that they have been marked, that there is, there is no going back, that God will hold them regardless of what they may do. That should bring you great comfort, especially if you sin. I'm sure that you sin every once in a while, right? Some of us sin a lot. And to know that nothing will ever separate us from God's love should, be, should bring tremendous encouragement for us. So you have the illustration here of circumcision pointing out that a transformation has taken place. A change has occurred. That we are being separated from the world and now brought into the family of God. Also, he uses the illustration of immersion, which he, uh, we see here in, the, in, uh, in verse 12. You were buried along with him by being immersed and in union with him. You were also raised up along with him by God's faithfulness that worked when he raised Yeshua from the dead. You know, immersion, uh, uh, of course, it's, it's all illustrative of, of uh, the mikvah, the whole idea of ritual purification. Okay, People in the first century understood that coming into the people of Israel uh, was, was accomplished through two elements, generally. People argue about it, but generally it's accepted. Brit milah, circumcision, and tefillah, or, or mikvah. Okay? So between these two things, a person comes into the people of Israel and therefore is transformed from being a non-Jew into a Jew. All right? So he uses these illustrations again to clearly articulate transformation spiritually. So I'm trying to really nail this home because I think some people really struggle with this. When you come into relationship with God through accepting Yeshua's Messiahship, accepting His atonement, believing in His sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins, you become a new person. And you should rejoice in that truth. I'm going to read another illustration here. I found this to be a great illustration. For those of you who like RVing, you will appreciate this. The motorhome has allowed us to put all the conveniences of home on wheels. The camper no longer needs to connect with sleeping in a sleeping bag, cooking over a fire, or hauling water from a stream. Nor, uh, now he can park a fully equipped home on a concrete slab in the midst of a few pine trees and hook up a water line, a sewer line, and electricity. One motorhome I saw, in fact, my father had a motorhome with a satellite dish. No more bother with dirt. No more smoke from the fire. No more drudgery of walking to the stream. No more outhouses to contend with. Now it is possible to go camping and never have to go outside. We buy a motorhome with the hope of seeing new places, of getting out, getting out into the world, yet we deck it out with the same furnishings as in our living room. Thus, nothing really changes. 
We may drive to a new place, set ourselves in new surrounding, but the newness goes often unnoticed, for we've only carried along our old setting. I think that often as followers of Messiah, we have that kind of a mentality. We believe intellectually in a sense that we are traveling to new places with God because of our faith in Messiah Yeshua. But instead of really understanding and appreciating what transformation means, we're dragging all of our junk with us as we go on God's road trip. And it keeps us from being all that God wants us to be. It keeps us from truly appreciating all that God has for us. Take a look again at the text, verses 13 and 14. It says, You were dead because of your sins, that is, because of your foreskin, your old nature. But God made you alive along with the Messiah by forgiving you all your sins. He wiped away the bill of charges against us because of the regulations. It stood as a testimony against us, but he removed it by nailing it to the execution stake. There is today, because we've come into right relationship with God, a freedom. The transformation means change, freedom. That means those things that really used to, 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 to that really get you down, those things that really used to uh, control you, do not have to control you as a follower of the Messiah. They don't. I was talking with somebody just recently about uh, some occultic issues. Okay? I mentioned this briefly to Jason. He was probably trying to wonder out what I was talking about. You know, uh, Satan is real. Satan. He's in our biblical text. And uh, I don't care if you call him Satan or the devil or whatever you want to say. He is a real individual. The biblical text also refers to him as Lucifer. And he is an angel of light. And he's completely opposed to God. Okay? And sometimes what happens is when people live their lives, they put themselves in, in a bondage to him. I have met people through the years who were not believers in Yeshua, and they made deals with the devil. I mean, some of them are just amazingly scary, the things that I've heard. Okay? People are attaching themselves, being enslaved, in essence, to Satan and his minions. And yet we understand this, both within the biblical text and in the tradition of our people, that this is not how it has to be. Because God is God, and Lucifer is simply a created angel. And yet when we live life as followers of Messiah, and we do not break free from the things in the past, we allow ourselves, even as believers, to be held back by some of these influences. I knew a guy at Moody many years ago, who, because of circumstances in his life, literally had issues with demonic spirits. Freaky stuff. And, and because of decisions that he was making, even while Moody ended up leaving, he, these spirits would stay after him. His demonic elements would, would, would continue to stay after him. Now the truth of the matter is, is that God, you know, through the power of God, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, these things should not be. But we, but he in his situation, was not willing to conscientiously break from his past. And so these demonic elements harassed him. We have freedom in Messiah Yeshua. We have been transformed in Messiah Yeshua. Too many of us, though, on the road trip where God has put us in a brand new motorhome according to His making, with all the little nifty things that we could ever possibly want, we decide to haul in our junk into God's wonderful, transforming 
motorhome. And it inhibits our ability to road trip the way God wants us to. My encouragement for you is that you take time and you do a little analysis of the junk in your life that you have brought into your life before, from before you were a follower of Messiah. Maybe it's the music you listen to that really brings you down. Reminds you of all kinds of garbage from your past. Or maybe it's your, your interest in certain activities. I, I think that believers should have nothing to do with demonic movies. You may say, what's demonic? Anything where people are being brutalized on the screen, don't watch it. But I'm not talking about documentary, okay, but I'm talking about the whole genre of, of slasher-type movies that I hear believers go to all the time. That's demonic. Remember, Satan destroys, God gives life. Okay, it's really important you understand what I'm saying. Right? Uh, three points. I just want to make in regards to this, okay? That, that you have to keep in mind in regards to this new freedom. Sin leads to spiritual death. There is therefore now no condemnation for us in Messiah Yeshua. Therefore, let us live our lives by faith in Messiah Yeshua's death in order that we might be spiritually alive. But we have to understand that sin does lead to spiritual death. When I open the ark and I say that if we regard sin in our hearts, what I mean is if we are allowing things in our lives that we know displease God, it inhibits our relationship with God. And it gives Satan an opportunity to come in and make havoc in our spiritual lives, in our lives, period. Absolutely. Now, second point, sin leads to guilt and shame. When you sin, don't you... How many of you used to steal cookies from the cookie jar? I was notorious for stealing cookies from the cookie jar. Remember that old song, Who Stole the Cookies from the Cookie Jar? They just know it was me. (laughs) It leads to guilt and shame. Sin. Right? I felt guilty when I stood it, but I did it anyway because I liked the cookies. If you allow sin in your life, if you allow certain habits that you know displease God in your life, it will lead to, it will lead to a sense of guilt. It will lead to shame. It inhibits your relationship with God. We need to understand, though, that faith in Messiah's death makes us completely forgiven, though. That's why I keep saying that one verse. Where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Messiah Yeshua. No condemnation. If we sin, let's confess it. If you have habitual habits that are sinful, then get help and stop them. Okay? But if we sin, we confess it. Because by faith in in Messiah Yeshua's death, there is complete and total forgiveness of sin. Because we have a new life in the Messiah. The last point, sin leads us to condemnation. Sin leads to condemnation. Eventually, if you're continuing to sin and allow sin to be active in your life, God will have to bring discipline into your life. God will discipline you. I don't know what it could be. He might bring things into your life to just get you to the end of yourself so that you will stop sinning. But we, uh, what's also, and I said this earlier, incredibly important to remember, that because we have faith in the sight of Yeshua's death, our salvation is sealed, though. Don't ever let Satan discourage you because you're not, because, because you do sin. If anyone doesn't sin, he's a liar. 
problem is when believers sin and they don't confess it. They don't care. They don't they don't they don't want to admit it before God. And again, if there are habitual areas of sin in your life, feel free to get some encouragement and accountability. It also speaks of that in the portion in James. If someone has struggles with sin, you know, uh, sickness occurs, let them call for the elders. And if he has sins, let him confess his sins. It's all part of the healing process. But God has transformed us through Messiah Yeshua. We become this amazing, beautiful swan, which is who he's made us to be in the first place. And that often, we're on this road trip that God, is, uh, God has us on, this wonderful opportunity, this great experience. We need to make sure that as we're living this new life in Messiah, that we're not dragging in the old stuff that inhibits our ability to be all that God wants us to be. Finally, take a look at verse 15. He says, Stripping the rulers and authorities of their power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. By means of the stake. Let me read it again. Stripping the rulers and authorities of their power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by means of the stake. Yeshua's death and resurrection brought victory over Satan and his demons. Satan has no power over us. The demonic forces have no power over us. We have a new ruler. It's God himself. We are children of God. We are God's children. Got to understand what that means, all right? They, um, John F. Kennedy, when he was in the White House, got to remember the transitions. You had Roosevelt, who was an old guy. You had Truman, who was an old guy. You had Eisenhower, who was an old guy. And then there's John Kennedy. John F. Kennedy goes into the White House. Some of you guys may remember this. Goes into the White House, and what happens? John John's running around the Oval Office, crawling through the desk. Now, how, how did that happen? You know? Well, because there's a new ruler in town who's a little less stuffy. And because John John is the child of the president, he has access. He has access. They used to say that, that John F. Kennedy, you know, would even allow the kids into some of the meetings. I mean, they had access. They were his kids. You're a child of God. You have access. You have access. Do you understand and appreciate who you are? Do you really go before God as his child and make requests of him? Uh, love him and know his love. Nothing will separate you from his love. You can't become an unchild of God. Matthew will never be any other than my son. Okay? Can't change that. Even when I'm gone and dead, that won't change. You are a child of God. Do you understand and appreciate that what that, what that truly means? And as God's child, your sin, the things you struggle with, don't have to rule over you. They don't have to control you. They don't have to bother you, really. But you have to be willing to humbly live your life God's way. And God's Spirit will give you the power to overcome those areas of sin. The war for our spirit is over. Satan lost. God won. But we have to live as children of God. We have to live as beautiful swans. We need to not think we're a bunch of ugly ducklings. So let's wrap it up. If you are here and you by faith have accepted the Messiah Yeshua, that Messiah Yeshua died for your sins, 
And have you become and that and and you've become someone new, you have been spiritually transformed. Just hitting it one more time. But you are new. You are a transformed child of God. But the really the, the question that we have to always consider is how are you living out your transformation? Are you living the new life? Are you road tripping in God's perfect motorhome with his stuff? Or have you dragged all your worldly garbage into it from before and messed it up? Well, you know what's wonderful? Is a motorhome can be cleaned out. And it can be reverted back to its original state in the way God operates things. But I encourage you to take time on this Shabbat, do a personal inventory, reject the past, reject things that you know bring you down, whether it's your music or your food or anything else that is inhibiting your ability to live the way God wants you to. And think about this as well. How are you practicing your new freedom as a, Messiah, as a follower of Messiah? How are you living out that freedom? You know, are you letting God direct your, your way? Are you allowing Him to, to maximize His use of who you are? You know, it's, it's also interesting, you know, uh, when we think about uh, the fact that as followers of Messiah Yeshua, we also recognize that God has made us, now we ourselves. And so he knows how, what's best for us in terms of our talents, in terms of our, 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 our real interests, our desires, to be seeking his leading in regard to the way we live our life, the very details of our lives. Constantly we have opportunities to do things. Are we really asking God to let us know what it is he wants us to do in regards to these details? Not every opportunity that comes your way is an opportunity from God. Opportunities can come your way that are directly the result of the enemy who wants to minimize your effectiveness for God. Our lives are a sacrifice to the Lord. Let's live our lives His way. Let's practice our new freedom as His followers. And the ruler we should be under is only the Lord. It's only the Lord. Don't submit yourself to anything else. Certainly not men, meaning you know mankind and the ways of, of this world. You know, if, you're, if your boss tells you to come in on time, you should come in on time, okay? But your boss is not God. If your boss wants you to cheat, absolutely not. If your boss wants you to do something unethical or immoral, absolutely not. If you're finding that your boss is, because of, of things he wants you to do or his expectations for you is inhibiting your relationship with God, get a new job. You have only one ruler. And it's the Lord God of Israel, the Messiah Yeshua. Follow Him, because no one else is worth following. You are a swan. You are a transformed person, child of God. Live like you believe it. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. And I do pray, God, that we indeed would live our lives as the people you made us. Your children. Your perfect and righteous children. And God, although we understand our, our sin and our struggles, we thank you, God, for your love that will never change, that we are transformed and nothing will take us back. God, help us to live as your children. Help us to, to live according to your instructions and to bring you glory and pleasure. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.